Well, I was I was driving home earlier um, in my timeline of life, I guess, and uh, I was thinking I need to call up AT and T, who provides me with my internet. I did a little check uh, before we were calling. Didn't I say it was eight mega BPSs or something? If I remember, yeah. Which is um, I don't know. I feel like I'm running the internet off of a CD-ROM <laughs> at that point. It's it's. Slow for America, fast for Australia. We got you. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's good to know. I'm I'm cool with people who barbecue in wheelbarrows. No problem. But uh, so I was thinking, I want to call up AT and T and be like, I know I've, I ask you this every year, but do you have fast internet to my house uh, yet? And and I was thinking, I need to go when I, when I go in. I'm going to go into this call, right? You always, whenever you're talking to the telcos, your your commodity service providers, your stupid network mm. people, you gotta you gotta get your dealing with people thing on. I was thinking, okay, I go in immediately. They're like, "Hi, my name is so and so. How may I help like, you today?" No deal. <laughs> That's right. No deal. <laughs> how how can I help you today? And the first thing I need to do is be like, be like, look, I do not want TV. I do not want TV. I know I know you're going to I know what you're going to tell phone, me that's Kodak? right. I know you're going to tell me I could get 50 channels for $5. But listen, listen. Would you like $50 worth of PDFs for $5? No, you would not. I would sell that to you for $5. You would not want it. Do I want TV? No. I don't care what price it is. I don't want it. Do you think they would not offer me TV and phone if I did that? Oh, they would. They they, oh. they they still will. You're you're off script, man. They're, I f- I feel like in. I feel like I would I I forget when I got an iPhone. Maybe 2008. Maybe I should put in a couple hours work to make a spreadsheet where I sum up all the money I've spent to AT and T. This is my second thing. I'll be like, hey, welcome to AT and T. How may I? You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm Larry. How can I help you? Who do I have the pleasure of speaking with? And I'd be like, look, look, I have spent. <laughs> Over $50,000 with you for the past 10 years. I do not want TV or phone. Can we just get that off of the table? And then could I ask them? All I want to know is if I have faster internet available. And then they're like, uh, let me talk to my manager. <laughs> you broke the script. You broke I know, the script. But I don't know, Kutim, but I think, unfortunately, I think you can answer all these questions yourself. Like, <laughs> they would be telling you if they had faster internet, because when they do come to like an, a new area, you get so much like junk mail, like saying like, yeah. you, you know, Uverse, Fiber, hundred, you know, like you just, it's like not, it's it's nonstop, and someone will actually come to your house. They'll send someone out like door to door to the neighborhood. They'll oh, just yeah. be like, hey. So uh, if that's not happening, it means your little uh, neighborhood is not sent, is too far from the central. Now, now I get, I get, I get the, I get the mailers, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, comically. Because it, not because they shouldn't be. I think it's funny in Spanish. All my Time Warner mailers are in Spanish, which I appreciate. <laughs> and uh, you know they're advertising 100 mega BPSs or whatever. And I just like, I, I'm struck by the same thing. It's like I just know that can't be true. And so I don't even want to call them because then they're going to try to sell me TV. And and no, I, have, I have listen. I think you just I, I I think the switching cost kind of thing. I went through this with uh, I finally got off AT and T for my mobile phone after. You know, just like, I don't know, 10 years and it's been fine. And it's just sort of the the inertia of having to, like, you know, do something or I should say the opposite. The the actual uh, uh, task of actually having to go do something is a total pain. Once you do it, you're like, yeah, it's a lot better. So yeah, time order. Yeah. I, I can assure you I'll send you, uh, you know, the screenshot 
I'm getting easily a hundred megs. Wait, down. Did, do uh, they did, do they have Very something easy. where I where I can put my zip code in and they will tell me if they have it available? Like AT and T used to have yeah. Google Fiber. Time Warner has definitely that. Time Warner now Spectrum, and I'm oh. I am ninety nine percent sure they have it in your neighborhood. You can just get that's all I have. I just have internet with Time Warner and or Spectrum rather, and it's fine. This, so you know, come this, out, that's it. This is a good example of oh, yeah. Do I need the TV package? You could get HBO for free for three months, uh, but th- this is sort of like that more plumbing the depths of how much I don't want to talk to people unless they're good friends of mine or I'm getting paid for it. Is like I was very excited when I heard that AT and T and Time Warner were going to merge because I figured that would mean my internet would just by itself become faster. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. In fact, they've, they've taken uh, special precautions to make sure that will never happen yeah, uh, in your yeah. life. So, so just just bite the bullet. Just make the call to Time Warner. They have a good special rate, you know, it's, for the first year. Just get it done. All right, love it. All right, all right. Some, some Google Fiber, or maybe some. some oh, talk about another pipe dream. That's even further behind the AT and T pipe yeah. dream. I mean, you know, I was I was earlier this week. I was listening to a. Um, oh, I was listening to this great uh, dual biography of Churchill and Orwell. And, uh, I mean, I have cut myself off from like three rabbit holes just in that short sentence, just, just for you, the listeners. I mean, I know these, these two like it, but anyways, uh, and, and they were talking about how when Churchill entered doing the second world war, he, he made himself be optimistic and everything. And I was thinking like, man, I should be optimistic. I've got so, so much great going on. Just be happy all the time. But let me go a little off script. I mean, just like, what the fuck with Google fiber here, they come into Austin, they make a big deal. And they're like, I know. Let's just give it to the super cool people downtown, and just like how 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 you know, like fuck them. Like that that's just <laughs> ridiculous. Like this is just more evidence of this like Bay Area nonsense. Think of like I mean, we've gone over this, and and we three know this is like, you know, if if you're older than let's say maybe like thirty, or or you don't want to spend a lot of money, like you live up. Not where Google Fiber is. It's almost like it's almost like a, a diagram of like: Are you under thirty? You get Google Fiber. Are you over thirty? No Google Fiber for you. Of like demographics <laughs> but, of the city. But but Cote, people over thirty have more money. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. We have more money. We have more power. We have more political clout. So when when the government, when when my representative McCall is like, I'm going to take Google and put them on a fucking pike. Because of whatever, as as it seems like people are going, like I don't know, maybe I'll call them and be like, "Hey, they got no Google Fiber here. Don't give a fuck, pike them, right?" Like it's just like <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I know, uh, but I feel like Coach. I hate to do this. I feel like I, I got to fact check you a little bit here. I think mm. I think what it is, it's more north or south with the river, right, being the dividing line. And to be fair, I think many people in Travis Heights. In downtown condos, who I think have a lot of money. No, that's what uh, I was saying. Are, you know, are being unless serviced. you have. But we need this. This is this is uh, once again. I'm going to turn into an Alex Jones person. Once again, the middle class <laughs> is getting fucked. That's what's <laughs> happening here. We're getting squeezed. Anyhow, but I think that you know, I actually think there's an interesting larger story in that whole thing. It's just like, yeah, you know, this is a place where I think AT and T and all the telcos and all the cable companies sort of looked at Google. It was like, okay, yeah, you're gonna go for it, go for it, dig off. Yeah, you know, let's see how fast you can get permits and uh, dig holes and lay fiber. Mm. It turns out it's like pretty complicated. So I think, yeah, uh, yeah. that is sadly what's going on there. It's right? it's, it's, it's like just... the uh, it's the reverse of the first cloud wars, which I would summarize as. 
uh, everyone was like, it's, it's kind of this, it's analogous. Everyone was like, Amazon's stupid. The enterprises will never stop giving us money. And, uh, and, and then, and then, you know, it worked out for AT&T. Unlike <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like the, the other people. Yeah, we're, we're in some, uh, some man in the high castle alternate reality mm. <laughs> where, where there is no public cloud. Mm. There is only enterprise cloud. That's right. That's right. Those are Oof. some, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Do you think, are they going to make another season of that show? That, that show was, that show was all right. It was all right. I, I couldn't get into it. Mm. Um, and I like Philip K. Dick. I, uh, I was actually going through trying to track down uh, Scanner Darkly. I wanted to rewatch oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the problem with, with that is like I went back and reread The uh, Man in the High Tower, and the, the original text pretty much has nothing to do with the uh, TV series except the whole idea and the theme. And I think there's some I Ching stuff in there. But whew, man, the right. I, as always with the Philip K. Dick thing, the I Ching and uh, uh, Man in the High Castle is just like nutty ball. Well, if, if yeah, if you want to go into a rat hole, like yeah, there's there's some some crazy stuff. He's got like collected letters, and mm. I mean, I, I know you, I know you're big on the uh, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, but like Philip K. Dick makes him look like you know a casual drug user. Oh yes, um, I imagine so. <laughs> I imagine so. Yeah. Well, well, here here's here's the uh, here's the first thing I wanted to ask y'all. There's a, I, I saw this too. There's a small little news item. That you can do your uh, your one dot one dot one dot something or another DNS, and this reminded me that if you put threes in there, you got your uh, your Google DNS, Four. right? Fours or or whatever. But like so <laughs> so now I got whatever it is. I got I have like a VPN that I use, and and then of course you know the problem with using a VPN is you're just trusting your VPN provider not to do terrible things to you, but. What is the uh, what's the risk analysis of switching your DNS over to someone? Like, what is that? That's just going to tell them which websites you went to, right? And yes. then, and then I guess if you've encoded anything in the URLs, does it, does it only do the straight up uh, host name, or does it pass the rest of it to them too? I believe just the host names. So, um, so what's what's the what's the analysis you do on that kind of thing? Like how how do you build up trust that something terrible is not going to happen, and then you you end up voting Trump into office? <laughs> <laughs> Whew. Uh, well, um, the so in the show notes we've got a link to the uh, the one 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 announcement from uh, Cloudflare. Uh, they added a new um, authoritative DNS provider that's focused on privacy. Um, you know, uh, Google's got the eight eight. 88 and the 8844, um, which, you know, uh, are good. I've used those when I'm in places where I don't trust the DNS, which is usually like hotels or foreign countries or, you know, or on AT&T are, yeah. maybe <laughs> <laughs> or uh, time Warner or space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so or, uh, basically anywhere, I would say anywhere other than, uh, uh, you know, not, not, now that we've unpacked that a little bit, I realize I never use anybody's DNS. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like like here here in Australia, I use a alternate DNS provider that shows that I'm not in Australia, so I can use US streaming services. Oh, and um, then Netflix doesn't cotton on to that cuz they're pretty smart about that VPN thing. Netflix does. Mm. Like Netflix obviously has like, you know, some sort of amazing hackers and, Well, they use know, microservices, so that'll fix that for you. <laughs> I'm I'm sure they they put some Netflix OSS on there and figured out that I'm in Australia. So there's some shows I can't watch. Um, and some I can, right? Uh, like, you'll be happy to know that I have access to all all the seasons of Full House 
you're in Australia, but in America, you can't watch it. So, uh, <laughs> Uncle, Uncle uh, Joey is sad. <laughs> well, uh, my my daughter's happy though. Um, so yeah, they, they they Netflix breaks it down, but some like like Hulu. Uh, if I'm using my uh, Australian uh, DNS, they are like, uh, we can't serve it to you. You're in Australia, um, or um, Amazon is a mix sometimes. So you know they they've got the whole like some shows are licensed for some countries. So I use an alternate DNS provider. And then when I'm outside of Australia, I usually use uh, the Google ones. Now I guess I'll switch over to the uh, uh, the Cloudflare ones. Um, the advantage of the Cloudflare ones is they don't have they don't have an angle of like monetizing your consumption habits right and hmm. um you know because you know because they are uh deeply involved in like dns and and ddos prevention and that kind of stuff you know they <clears throat> they they may they may be faster but they also they don't really care what you're looking up so um yeah it, it's sounds good so, so what do the what do these Cloudflare Cloudflare people do? The problem with their website is is they got the memo that marketing should tell you about outcomes instead of products. <laughs> so I don't really know what it is they do. The gist, from my okay, reading, the solution gist, selling. That's right. <laughs> I was gonna say that it's pretty a fairly simple value proposition. It just basically says that they'll delete, you know, your your information, I think it's after 24 hours. So I guess maybe that's a question, like why do they even have need to save it? But I guess there's probably some kind of basic logging they need. But that, that seems to be the gist of it, right? It's just simply they'll purge the data pretty quickly and the whole value proposition is around that. So in theory, right, we, we should trust them because they've sort of built the whole thing around the fact they don't actually record any of your data. Because I do think there's almost like a hierarchy of like, DNS is just sort of like if if you're using a DNS and no one has ever said anything to you and it's if you're like at your home internet or hotel it's almost surely someone is using that data to do something to learn something about you right your cable company your internet provider your hotel whatever so they're definitely not helping you and I've been using Google for a long time uh just because I think it's pretty dependable but Clearly, Google has motivations, right, to, to at least know something about you. So you can kind of think of them as maybe a better actor in here. Mm. And then you have, because there's a couple. I think um, IBM's part of this group. It's like Quad Nine, so it's just four nines. Um, there's that's another one that you can use. Now there's uh, the Google, the four eights, and then the four ones. So these seem to at least be making the case that they're going to do some something. Uh, good for you if nothing else just delete everything but the other thing i always worry about though is is like it is it is a pain to switch these things around especially if they break if one's flaky so the google yeah. one feels pretty battle tested i do worry a little bit you know the ones the four ones it's like i don't know it's just kind of like want to let it bake for a little <laughs> bit longer before well, they, yeah. they get it all to work right because the last they, thing you yeah. want is is just like not being able to get on the internet or resolve host right so that's more more than a pain than anything else and and I think um, you know in the uh, the one of the places that I saw announced had you know I read the comments um, and there were people who were like oh you know one 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 is being used for something else internally so it's it's <clears throat> it's kind of one of those numbers that uh, has kind of been overloaded before so not you know um, kind of like uh, you know sending your email to Bill at uh, Microsoft.com there's probably some <laughs> 
<laughs> probably a lot of junk already going there. Um, so it'll probably work out. I expect that Cloudflare, uh, it it's probably battle tested in the fact that like they know how to run, you know, back back end internet infrastructure like internet with a capital i so i'm not worried about it as a service i'm more worried about people who have like screwed around with one 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 before mm-hmm. that's a good point too and what what so, are they what, their regular business they're like a, a a cdn what is it what is it that they do <clears throat> uh cdn ddos protection um you know dns web security I, essentially like you are a you know a big web property, and somebody decides that they need to DDoS you. Well, they can reroute all your DNS quickly, and you know tell other places like to start filtering out the sources of the DDoSs. I mean, they're they're probably, as far as I know, one of the bigger vendors in that space. I see. Um, but you know, they're just looking out for bad actors on the yeah. internet. Yeah, there was a good write-up. I think I can't remember if it was in the show notes. Or not. I think it was uh, GitHub was uh, underwent some pretty yeah. significant um, uh, DDoS attack, and was it was you know I guess with with uh, Cloud Cloudflare um, basically resolved it for them pretty fast. So so yeah, they do seem at least that's one example of a of good example, yeah. a good case study of them doing their job. I guess. <laughs> mm. Exactly. You know, speaking of people doing their job. Why, why don't one of you tell them who uh, this episode is sponsored by? So uh, this episode is brought to you by Datadog, uh, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications built by engineers for engineers. Datadog provides visibility into more than 200 technologies, including AWS, Chef, and Docker, with built-in metric dashboards and automated alerts. With end-to-end request tracing, Datadog provides visibility into your application and their underlying infrastructure all in one place. And you, dear listener, can sign up for a free trial and go to www.datadog.com slash SDT. That's again, www.datadog.com slash SDT. And if you sign up and you create uh, create an account and do a couple things, they'll send you a t-shirt. And this week, our friends at Datadog wanted you to know a little bit about uh, their APM and distributed tracing for Java applications. So if you've built that latest and greatest spring application, um, you want to see what's going on with your Java application, they can trace things all through and show you the database performance, the application performance, and most importantly, they can put it all in one place so you can see a consolidated view. So make sure to go to www.datadog.com SDT. And of course, tell them your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you there you go they got fine t-shirts i didn't get to wear one this week but uh but but you know i always enjoy them nice color purple well uh you know speaking of purple oh hey wait wait, hey what is that that oh i remember we were talking about we were uh we were talking about the great lighting that you have at tech events and you know the, yeah. I think they do the thing where they've got some wavy curtains on the back of the stage or maybe that's supposed to be wavy and they have that kind of powerful light so it kind of like ferns up the back and uh you know we got to get some of those for our houses be very miami vice-ish i like i like those there's every now and then you find one of these uh tumblers that's all about like neon colored 80s things which is uh, always enjoyable. But so there was, what, what are these uh, AWS summits? Are they like miniature, like uh, reinvents that they have or just sort of conferences yeah. to announce things? You, y'all have been to some of those, right? 
I'm going to one next week. Mm. Um, yeah, but uh, Amazon has a lot of <laughs> events. Um, you know, they have reInvent, which I guess this year is probably going to pull in like 180,000 people or something. Um, uh, but they also have their summits, which are kind of like smaller roadshow versions of that, where they, uh, you know, they have a uh, some training on the front end, a partner day, and then usually a day or two of of booths and sessions, and you know, and, and uh, you know, usually the sessions have some local flavor to them, uh, so they're they're kind of like mini AWS. Um, you know, well, they are, they're AWS summits, <laughs> but, uh, uh, next week I'll be at the AWS summit in Sydney. And, and I think they're expecting like two or 3000 people, um, and tickets are free, but you know, I'll be at the booth and, uh, the partner day and that kind of stuff. Um, but the San Francisco one is kind of like the biggest one, I guess, maybe the New York one. I don't know which one's bigger. Um, and occasionally they drop in new products at these. So, uh, this week, um, Werner Vogels uh, gave, you know, he he hosted the AWS San Francisco Summit, um, and and told everyone that this is not a sales event, as uh, <laughs> as we saw in the register article. Um, but uh, it turns out it, uh, you know, he he still had to highlight the fact that, uh, you know, they've got some new features, they're killing it in the business, rolled out a bunch of customers, brought out some customer testimonials, talked about sales. So I was like, not a sales event. Let's talk about sales. Um, yeah, I think the number he gave was uh, 20 billion. His annualized run rate for AWS was the wow. number I saw quoted. So uh, again, in the in the not the sales event uh, where they went over the sales numbers, uh, that's probably <laughs> not important to anyone, but that that's a pretty obviously significant business and they continue to grow at a, a pretty, uh, pretty toward pace. So, yeah, yeah. But I do think, you know, the things there wasn't, there was some AI stuff that I don't know. I didn't particularly find um, all that new or exciting. Uh, but I did think, you know, in the world of new and exciting, they did announce a couple of things around really audit and um, the ability to kind of manage secrets, which I guess are probably not the most exciting things if you're launching a keynote. But I do think <laughs> it is another example of um, AWS just sort of, you know, finishing out the feature set for just more enterprise and governmental uh, customers, right? And so, so you know, no one will probably walks in the first day with the internet startup is like, you know, what we got to do is get these audit roles figured out. But, um, you know, you do when you get to a certain size. I know, Matt, you spend a lot of time in your, in your current job talking about all the types of audit stuff. So the oh, fact yeah. that you can put it all together and, you know, kind of like roll it all up, it's, it's definitely going to be an important checkbox uh, as they kind of continue to grow into like larger and larger companies. And then the secret stuff, I mean, while it is sort of very basic and you're like, oh man, this is, should just always existed. It's like, I don't know. I, I've spent a lot of time looking at a lot of, a lot of customers and a lot of people just still using spreadsheets to manage keys or <laughs> just embedding them in env environment variables. So it's pretty simple to like throw them in their new secrets manager. And I thought the thing that was kind of interesting was the fact that they put that with Lambda. So you can essentially use Lambda functions to kind of like, you know, set up sure. your workflow. So like, you know, yeah, when you reset yeah. this secret, then, you know, you can like execute this script. So, which is kind of, I think, interesting for two reasons. One, it's pretty powerful. And then two, it, you know, cause I always wonder about, I hate Lambda, but just like functions, cloud functions as a category, it, it does seem like that's the kind of stuff it's like the perfect thing for, right? Like, okay, 
here you go. Just drop in your your latest and greatest function that you want to do and just update it. And, and that seems just a great use of it. So that part was kind of interesting because they're, you know, if you will, they built Lambda. Now they're going to use it to, to manage some of their own infrastructure, which will just kind of reinforce people getting used to it. So yeah. while not, not super sexy, I think still kind of important. You so, know, there's probably, pr- probably an internal memo like inside of AWS, the now that says like nothing can be launched without Lambda support, right? Um, just because it's so key to what they're doing, and you know the the lambda angles is is definitely really nice because you could see like why don't we just encrypt all the data on the fly and have a lambda function that you know just pulls in the the encryption key and you know encrypts it in that way you know or or decrypt or you know whatever it is you need to do um, that, that's kind of a, a cool kind of kind of feature for it. Um, and it kind of comes back to like if you wonder what's going to come next in the AWS platform, just look around at like what <laughs> what third-party services are still viable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so you know, um, uh, obviously tools like uh, uh, CyberArk or uh, Beyond Trust, Vault, yeah. yeah, Beyond Trust. It's like, you know, hey guys, um, you know, we saw that you were still making money over here. Uh, we'll we'll have a a subset of your functionality but you know we'll make it uh you know substantially cheaper um welcome to aws right? yeah it's funny you say it because after um i read the announcement i went over and i went to i think i went to beyond trust but any of them would have done and i just looked at like okay well what beyond the secrets what do they do and like what i didn't see was the really kind of like into the auditing and like um actually logging what people did right you know so if you think about privilege access management so i didn't see that capability in any of the AWS stuff. Now, you know, it doesn't mean it's not there. I may have missed it, but I did have that same exact thought like, oh, you know what they're probably going to launch in <laughs> six or eight months will be, you know, the the logging, right? The whole privilege right, right, access right. management and then like seeing what people did. And I was like, that's clearly like next on the roadmap. So I think you're right. Um, and then the, the pricing, I think it was, it was like 40 cents uh, for, per credential or per, I don't know what they call it, per secret. And then it's like, five cents for a 10,000 request. So it's like, I don't know. It was just, I, I was like, it kind of felt like, is this something that should just be like free if you use it? Or I don't know, maybe just like everything. Well, you know, you, just, just scale. Yeah, you got, you, you got to put a micro penny transaction amount on, on everything, right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, this, yeah. they, they use the, uh, is this analogy right? They use the Ryanair pricing plan where like, you know, <laughs> everything's a la carte, which I mean, that allows every single price point to be cheap if that's what you're paying attention to. And then you can uh, get back up to your, your regular price by, you know, how many how many layers of bags people bring and everything. But I mean, that's like that's their pricing strategy, right? Is you pay a small amount yeah. for everything and get a lot of everything. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where I think I feel for all the customers because I don't think this is unique to Amazon, but it's uh, it's like trying to figure like it's fine. OK, put out the prices, but then, then it's just like. Like, would someone be able to like estimate like easily, like, well, how many secrets do I have? And then with all the different APIs and all the different things that can call it, you're like, because 10,000 on the face of it seems like, well, huge, right? Like that you never, you know, that's a pretty big number, but I can see instances where you're just like, oh, wait a minute. It turns out we're using like a hundred thousand. Are we, you know, oh, we, just, yeah. we well, re- so redeploy this. 50 cents, right. I mean, <laughs> even a hundred thousand is 50 cents. So, so that just short circuits the whole well, now we got to go have a dance with some enterprise salesperson from Beyond Trust, and you know, figure out like, oh, what kind of sort of volume licensing do we need? And you're like, you know what? If this becomes a problem, 
maybe then we'll call them if our if our bill gets up to you know seventy three dollars or something. I don't know. You know, I feel like this is back to the cote, like the telephone conversation. <laughs> it's just like it's just more channels. Just you'll, you'll maybe your daughter will watch them, and then you know, you like two years later, you look back on your bill, and you're like, what? What is this Nickelodeon in Spanish? What are we? Why do we have this Nickelodeon so, um, in Spanish? Um, <laughs> it's just crazy. So I think you're right, man. I mean, I, I agree with you. I just I don't know. Sometimes I'm I just look at like like it's just too complicated. Like, hey, just give me a sense of what the, what I need to pay you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's probably pretty cheap so that is stop the madness well yeah i i have i have two follow-on questions and uh so the first one the first one is so how how does how does secrets management actually work like my understanding is uh you are holding on to the passwords or the certificates whatever it is the secret the key and you like pass it out to someone who needs it i guess yep and then also you can manage like we're going to reset this password and things like that. But like, but like, where does the where's the chicken and the egg thing of like in order to know that I give the secret to that thing, it's going to need to have a secret that it gives to me so that I can authenticate it. Or like, am I overthinking it and it's actually cool and there's no problem? Like, what, where's the, what's the prime mover secret that that happens? Uh- Right. So, so it, this comes back to our, our frequent topic of 2FA, right? You've got some admin who is holding a secret who wants to share it with certain machines or certain accounts or certain Lambda functions. Um, so they have an account that they can log into and then they can put this secret into the system. And then to the system, they can say, you are allowed to give it to, you know, machines that have this other credential or, you know, uh, AWS instances that pop up on this VPC right. that are of this AMI type or Lambda functions from over here from nine to five on weekdays, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, they don't have that sort of filtering yet, but you know, they're, they're, I see. And, uh, and, and, pre- and then existing competitors. Too. And, and then so, yeah. so in, in a, in a, as, as we would say in marketing land, a cloud platform like AWS yeah. or some other thing, secrets management is probably easier because it's basically just like since since uh, let's use AWS, right? And I think I assume Pivotal Cloud Foundry works the same way, and all the great clouds. Uh, but the the platform is the one starting up and shutting down all the infrastructure, so it can identify who gets the secret and who doesn't get the secret, essentially. Uh, and then also, right. if you have a dynamic nature to things, you don't need to have like static rules that you're handing uh, secrets around at. So. You basically just have a tremendous – you only give secrets out to things that are trusted. And because you've created all the things, you know which ones are trusted and not, uh, essentially. Yeah. Huh. yeah, yeah. And 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 some of those other tools will have things like one-time pads and uh, you know, multi-user authentication and mm-hmm. approvals and that kind of stuff. But most people don't get that far into it. They're just like, hey, I need a place to store some credentials. And I don't want to put them on a file system or an S3 bucket. Can you hold them for me? Uh, right. You so, say you're a vault. <laughs> yeah. I'll trust you. So, so in contrast to that, if I, yeah. if I, let's say I've been at a company for three years and it's time for me to get a new laptop and they ship yep. me a MacBook Pro. And for some reason, the screen doesn't turn on. It's just black. And I have to try to use the uh, voiceover technology to do something and it still doesn't work. And then I have to schedule an appointment to actually go talk to people at Apple care. And eventually I get it fixed. Right. And just a little anecdote there for you. And I, and I get a laptop 
Now, when I want to connect to my works network, like if I, this is a fresh install, basically I have to know a password or have some sort of credential because there, this, yeah. this laptop is not under the control of the thing handing out the secrets. So we need to have some kind of analog loophole to get a password to my meatware back into the hardware that like, then the thing will trust it essentially. Yep. Yep. Right. So you've probably got a password and, uh, you know, your Google authenticator or your RSA token or something. Right. Yeah. right. And then you're, there's you're doing one other, I think there's one other thing that like, often comes up here is like who owns the keys. And that's the other thing that you can do. So you can either basically have Amazon, you know, basically create the keys and then like, store them in the, what is it called? KWS or KMS system or you, like, this is a big deal for other people. So they don't ever like they don't necessarily want Amazon to have generated the keys. So you can create your own keys mm. and then you can put them in there. And then like you only you have seen the keys that you being like the metaphorical, like the company. Right. So uh, that's like another layer of protection. Right. But of course, all of this, you know, gets more and more complicated. So if like if I'm taking responsible for managing the keys, then like, OK, like you better not lose them. You better save them the right, right way. Right, right. And, um, and then you also have to establish trust between AWS and you loading it up with the initial keys, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah. where you put it in their key management system. But you're right. Like at the end of the day, just like a password manager or any of this, at the end of the day, it is always there's going to be some master key or password that unlocks like the vault, right? So it's just like right. a password manager. Like, yes, if someone learns the master password to your password manager, like that's it game over and, right. the, and the same thing does exist here so it's just like can you can you minimize how many people that know that and how quickly can you protect that information yeah, yeah. yeah. all right all right yeah. so so it's the typical situation where you're still gonna i'll try to make this the cover out but you still end up with that webcam pointing at a bunch of rsa to a fay fobs <laughs> right that's that's what happens <laughs> yep 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 but you know you know if it's if it if it's uh uh if it's good enough for for AWS, it's probably good enough for everyone else, right? Hey, and, that's uh, if I've yeah. learned if I've learned anything about security, it's that it's all about uh, good enough and and recovery, and uh, assuming the worst case scenario, which which sounds good well, to me. And which kind of brings us to uh, another piece of news. Um, you know, Amazon apparently is uh, bidding on some next generation U.S. Department of Defense uh, mm. contract. All right. And, uh, you know, they seem to have the inside track given that they've already got the gov cloud and the CIA cloud and, uh, uh, you know, they, they're the biggest and the baddest, but, um, there's been some, uh, some rumblings from the, uh, the president about his displeasure with Jeff Bezos owning a media company that is not, um, happy about him all the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so Oracle, Oracle's CEO was at a recent dinner and uh, with with uh, President Trump and used that as an opportunity to put in some digs about, hey, don't let Amazon have that contract. Yeah. So, um, turns out, enterprise software not always about the best products. Man, can you can you imagine Larry Ellison and like Trump being pally pally? That would be amazing. Go over to Mar-a-Lago and like figure out how yeah. to handle the next uh, North Korean nuclear crisis together. Put their two hundred foot yacht right up yeah. there at the golf course. I mean, that dude is that dude is, as they say in Trump land, straight from Central Casting. I think I think he fits right in there. That that would be great. And I I also like the uh, you know everything else aside. I liked some of the backstory I read in this where um, 
how do you say his name? Peter Thiel was was having mm-hmm. dinner because uh, I guess he's still chummy with him. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, and then, and then somehow through some, uh, there's probably lots of meetings for the meetings and pre-wirings, but somehow, uh, Safra Katz invited herself along to kind of tag along with them, which is classic high stakes meeting move. Like, oh, exactly. I right? just, this person happened to have come with me. I hope that's okay. And then, and then, you know, <laughs> you, you, you wait, uh, you're like, oh, we just, we just, uh, halfway through this overdone steak. And you know we're just kind of slip this in there, just kind of mention this uh, this thing that we have. That is that is like some masterful work right there. Now, of course, the true judge of if it's masterful is if any money actually uh, ends up coming from it, or I guess if uh, to some extent, you know, whenever you sort of just like you know shoot at your enemies, even if you don't kill them, it it causes you some strategic benefits. But uh, yeah, that's 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 a nice yeah. little little strategic move there. Now, now, yeah, all that said, like, I mean, does does Oracle like stand a technical chance of doing this? I mean, I don't like what seems really weird. I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, you know, obviously Oracle's on all the uh, the right price lists, um, and yeah. you know they're they're already uh, providing a lot of you know kit to the U.S. government. Um, but so are you know maybe maybe this just open reopens the bid process, I guess, or. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I don't want to say you know levels the playing field, but it it probably opens the door for you know either Oracle or IBM or you know even uh, Microsoft or Google to slip in. Um, yeah, don't know, don't know. It, it uh, we'll see what happens. <laughs> it's just fun drama, right? Yeah, yeah. They're gonna, gonna need to shorten those six page memos to solve this problem. <laughs> well, so here's the second thing I wanted to ask. I mean, this is a lengthy topic. Maybe we'll have uh, have another thing. But like, what what is what is the lambda lambda strategy? Like, I don't understand. I mean, not that I don't understand. It's just like I've never really come up with an opinion or or thoughts on it. Like, what what's the strategy there? As far as what Amazon? Like, yeah, like like, like like Matt Ray was saying, like you know, jokingly, maybe maybe like one eighth jokingly. Like, there's probably some some six page memo in Amazon that's like. Any new service you have joking. needs to have Lambda or you're fired, like that, that yeah, Yegi guy I, said. And I am not joking. On so that. there you right. go. There I, you go. He's got, he's got yeah. uh, 10 nines of certainty. And, and so, yeah. like, but, like, but, but why? Like, like there must be a, a strategic motivation, which is to say this is a way that will allow us to do all or either of the following, uh, increase our share price, increase our revenue, Make us more profit, or a bonus fourth, kill competition somehow or damage them. Yeah. So, like, like, what's uh, what's the deal? Um, I mean, <laughs> uh, if you haven't heard about it, there's this thing called serverless. And, sure, sure. Uh, that's that's the broader you know, question. That's the broader question. Uh, I mean, the, the the point is like, uh, wow, this this is a lot to unpack. Um, you know, well, here, hold people, on. Before you go, Mary, I was going to say, like, yeah. I think a lot of it's driven around uh like domain driven development i've been kind of like reading up on this like the whole like, whoa you're, you're going just, into the voodoo now We're i know straight into I, the swamps. i guess i, I guess i'm just trying boat. to like connect connect the dots of like where it's all coming from right so i don't know i don't feel qualified to like you know give a great explanation of 
domain driven design. I know right? that's, yeah, that's part of what I love. You'll see I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> crank down my making fun of is like, I feel like the first principle of domain driven development is this is very complicated. So you should probably leave. It's like the, it's like the SEAL training of enterprise architecture. No, no, we should is, put in the show notes. I tried to read, I did read, there's like a good, I think like a 40, 50 page, like, I don't know. I don't know. I guess it's like a short book. It's not a memo at that length, but, but I think the idea, I, the one part I did take away from it that I thought was interesting was sort of like, if you kind of think of like moving towards this idea that, Hey, the world is about interruptions, like something happens. Right. And then yeah. you know, you, your domain, right. Has to then react to it. And so rather than kind of like planning it all out and thinking of like more like traditional object oriented, like I have these, these methods and these functions, and then I do this and then I figure it all out. Right. Um, that, you know, if you think about it, it's like, okay, mm. well, if you kind of think like the world can be interrupted all the time. And every time I get interrupted, you know, and I need to do something instead of, if you will, like modifying the design and, and kind of t- figuring that, that out, right? It's like you could kind of just write uh, a lambda func- a function or just back to your thing about serverless, right? Start with that function and then have the function go figure out, okay, like what's happening and what needs to be updated based on that. So if you kind of buy into that, I think it starts, I think it really starts with like that idea. Like, do you mm-hmm. buy into that as a software divine philosophy? And if you do, then the idea is like, yeah, like a function gets triggered. I'm going to do everything I need to do. I'm going to log everything in a certain way so I can understand what's happening. And then I'm going to return. And then, you know, then I can just sleep, right. Or just go yeah. away. Right. And then I'm going to wait for something else. I, so, so I think like, to me, there's like a push to like, obviously you're coupled to the platform to some degree once you've done that, yeah. uh, which is a good business strategy. But then there is also this idea that like, this is a better way to define, to build software in the future. But I think that's very much debatable. Well, I don't know. So, so, so let, no, let, no, me, I, let, I, let me rephrase a little bit of that because I, I think, I think I, I, I can see the, uh, the horizon of, of the moneymaker here, as they say is, <laughs> and so I've noticed, I've noticed that there is a, uh, uh, there, there, there's a desire to make architectures that are f- chock full of data, just streams and things. And you got the event sourcing and your CQRS and your Kafka. And it's just like, we got a shit ton of data. And what we want to do is uh, we want to kind of work on the edges of it. And every time something happens, we want to update things we care about. It's a very like microservice-y, old, ironically old-school, object-oriented way of thinking about passing messages to objects and stuff. Yeah. And so the problem is uh, managing state is really hard. And so if yeah. you have something that manages the state for you, then you can just write these goofy little like plugins that you latch onto well, it, and, and they can be notified of something happening, and then you're cool. But you got to have that yeah. that central core, which is as y'all were saying, uh, it makes you very dependent on the platform because the platform people, instead of you running your own ES- ESB, which is supposed to take care of this, uh, like they run platform. it and they're better at it than than you are, yeah. and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, so so you know, traditional software development is you know you have an application, it loads in some data, it runs some functions on it, and then it spits out some output. Right. And there's a lot of scaffolding there about, you know, what kind of command line inputs do you take? What kind of, you know, how do you parse the data? What kind of processing you do? And if you if you if you take that and you think, well, instead of my platform being an operating system consuming some data on disk, what if the platform is 
this I cloud see. So, so where like, like, my data exists. Yeah. So, right? so basically, it's like normally if you were to take your program, you got a bunch of methods in there. And, and the Lambda thing is like, no, no, you just write the methods and we're going to handle all the other stuff for you. All you need to do is write the methods and we'll pass things back and forth. And yeah, yeah that sounds appealing for both sides of the, uh, yeah. of, of the dealy there. I mean, I've programmed and- in FileMaker. If you understand how it works, <laughs> it's, it's kind of nice. So uh, we, we don't have that much time left because I had to figure out the, uh, the Lambda strategy. I should figure out how to pronounce it. But, but yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's why that Simon Wardley guy is just like all over it. He's, 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 oh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's, I mean, he's into it. He's, he's mapped yeah, it out. I, I think he had a, a tweet where he, he wanted to bet that, I don't know, half of all software development in five years would be uh, serverless. Mm. And I, you know, I would take the, the, the con just because I've yeah. seen how the enterprises move. But I think long term, yeah, it makes sense that instead of having these, you know, I mean, we've, we've seen it for years now, you know, instead of having these monolithic programs, you start breaking them apart. And then it turns out that really, thanks to data gravity, all you're doing is operating against your big pool of data, like yeah. processing it, you know, parsing yeah. it. And the less, the less things you have inside a program, the, the easier it is to, to reason over. And uh, yeah, I, I, I I'm, confident that this is the, the the future i just question the time timelines mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah it makes sense all right well we got a, we got a list of conferences that will be at all sorts of exciting things and you know remember you can buy a t-shirt there's a 20 percent off discount code over at the site and you should really yeah. uh, if you haven't subscribed already you should check out software defined interviews at softwaredefinedinterviews.com Someone was just saying earlier that they uh, they always like each episode, and it's amazing that it's free. Which maybe we've gotten our pricing wrong, uh, if, if that's the case. But uh, well, did, did you tell them that they they are the product? That's right. Yeah, that's right. And and also you can go to the show notes to find out how to get stickers. But with that, Matt Ray, what do you recommend oh, no. this week? So so my recommendation this week is a program called Muse Score. Um, I've been dabbling at teaching myself piano uh, and and music theory and and the likes. My uh, my eight year old joined the uh, the training band at school, so I've been um, going to his his music lessons <laughs> and uh, reading his intro piano books. And I can play hot cross buns like a maniac, um, but uh, I, I've slowly been learning piano, and now I'm I'm starting to. Uh, uh, I can, you know, sight read music and I'm starting to take like some of my favorite songs and, and transcribing them to piano so I can play them. And so a um, MuseScore is open source, uh, cross platform. Uh, it's got a big community of people sharing, um, you know, uh, sheet music. Um, so, uh, check it out. It's, it's actually quite full featured. I thought I was going to be doing it with GarageBand, but it's composing capabilities aren't very good. Um, in mm. my opinion. So that's my pick for the week. Sounds good. How about yourself, Brandon? Uh, before I get my recommendation, I did want to give a couple of quick shout outs to people who emailed for stickers. So uh, Tim says he really enjoys the show and he asked if we sent uh, stickers to the UK and damn right we do. And I, I sent him one. <laughs> uh, Ray from California says, thanks uh, for all the effort that goes into the podcast. Man, if you only knew, if you only knew how much effort this was, uh, but we sent him a sticker and then Ryan uh, got a sticker and it was in this mangled envelope. He sent a picture of it or put it on Slack and it's just like destroyed, but somehow the sticker made it through 
and our good friends who don't sponsor the podcast, but the people I like, the United States Post Office, the postmaster actually apologized. They actually put it in like a thing saying, we're sorry, this it got really messed up. Hopefully it got there. We hope you'll understand. So I appreciate all of those guys uh, emailing me. And I appreciate the postmaster because yeah. you know what? You know what you can do if you need a stamp? You can go to the post office and just get a stamp. It's easy. I do it all the time. It's really no I, problem. I like how we're we're helping them out, you know. Now that that uh, Trump's trying to cut down their AWS business. That's right. I think the post <laughs> office is great, and you know we should leave them alone. Let them. And I get packages on Sunday, and I love that too. So keep it up, post office. Uh, but my recommendation this week, I'm trying to. Uh, I was trying to learn how to build a iOS app because you know all the cool kids are doing it. So I discovered this course from Stanford, not a school I would have gotten into, but you can take it online. They put everything out and I learned that iTunes U, if you ever know anything about that, actually they got rid of it, so I don't need to know anything about it. So now they take all these courses, they put them in just your podcast feed. So there's a bunch of uh, lectures, I think there's like 13 with a bunch of assignments. So if you're interested in learning uh, how to do it, it's it's really well done. I actually think the professor's really good. It's been a long time since I was in college, but I like the way that he, basically just sits down and really kind of codes up the examples in front of you. And when I don't know how it was for you guys, like when I was back in the day, when I was in my computer science classes, there was sort of were scoffed at, like you would just learn the language, but people didn't want to spend a lot of time like showing you specific tools. Like I never had like a class on like windows developing or whatever. You just had to learn that stuff on your own, uh, which was fine. But like, I like the fact that they kind of integrate this really nice with the Apple tools so that, yeah, you can walk away with a very practical set of knowledge on how to build apps and you can learn Swift. So uh, it's been pretty, pretty cool. So if you're interested in doing that, check it out. Yeah. Well, my, uh, I was traveling earlier this week. Close listeners may remember there was a spring tour Dallas for a couple of days uh, this week. So I went up to Dallas and I was uh, coming back to Austin. I had my flight over there at DFW, gate A34. And uh, I wanted something to eat. And all they had was some, how do you say it, Aubon Pain or Pan. Sure. And uh, normally I would not go there because it's right in the name. You're just going to get a bunch of bread. Uh, Good bread, I guess. But, you know, I was just wandering around, and they have, they're, they're, they're like these people now who have the little packets with just like fruit and cheese and, uh, uh, like, you know, nuts. With nuts. Yeah. They call them protein packs. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, yeah. So, so, uh, you know, if, if you, if you've been avoiding the, uh, the bready place of Aban Pain, then, uh, you can go there and they got stuff for you that's not just like a sandwich. And, yeah. you know, I think, Maybe um, uh, this is not a very accurate statement, unlike every other statement I've made in this episode. Uh, but like, just a sandwich on an air trip is not very good. Like, there's something about the sandwichy nature and the big thing. It just like leaves leaves me very unsettled. So I don't like to have like a lot of bready stuff on a uh, on a trip. I want something lighter. Not, not even a Schlotzky's from the Austin airport. Oh, well, that's more like appealing <laughs> to my childhood. That's that's, uh, yeah. that's tough. That's but yeah. like for example, to that point, back when they had Amangias, I would not eat Amangias like two pieces of Amangias pizza. That if oh, I no. was flying, like that would just that would be terrible, right? Like that's just right. gonna not be a good thing there. But there you go. I think they've got several of them at uh, DFW. They have them at many other airports, but they have options nowadays that aren't just like yeah. uh, sandwiches. Starbucks usually has that same mm, thing or yes. you know, same sort of setup, right? No, that's true. So for, that's true for those uh, picky eaters, picky yeah. airport travelers. 
Yep, it's pretty good. Pretty good. You know, also they have a, a Papa Do's in DFW. If you have got about forty minutes, you go you go down. It's like you're in a real restaurant, and they got like full seafood funs fest there, which which is really good. I'm not sure about seafood at the DFW airport. Ah, <laughs> uh, they can fly it in. It's fine. <laughs> And you know it's probably also frozen, so who cares? Like it's, I'm I'm not that fancy of a person that uh, I I would know the difference. I get maybe if you're really paranoid, just don't order the the oysters that are that are uncooked. But still, it's probably fine. Probably fine. Stomach's churning. Yeah, your arm will not turn black, fall off, and then kill you. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, as always. This has been Software Defined Talk. You can find the show notes for this episode, since it's episode 129, at softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 129. And there'll be links to all those things that I hurried through, like how you can get 20% off of a t-shirt and the conferences we'll be at, an email address you can get free stickers from, all that sort of stuff. And uh, with that, we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>